Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. Well, something special is going down at UFC 296, and DraftKings Sportsbook is helping you come out on top in this epic bout between Colby Covington and Leon Edwards. And over at DraftKings Sportsbook, you can make any bet you want when it comes to this fight. From method of victory to what round it finishes in, DraftKings has everything you need for UFC 296. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MANIX. New customers get $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 887-897777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire in 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash MMA for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. I want to welcome in everybody that's listening on the podcast feed. If you are not a subscriber, get over there. Apple Podcast, Spotify, subscribe, follow. Make sure you get this pod in your feed every single week. So, we've got a lot to talk about. And it feels like I'm saying that a lot. And I probably have been saying that a lot over the last few weeks because it's been a busy stretch in boxing. A couple of weeks ago, we had... The return of Ryan Garcia, 
Last weekend, we had Devin Haney putting on an absolute masterclass against Regis Progre. This weekend, we've got three fight cards to talk about. You've got the final Showtime card taking place in Minnesota. That's going to be headlined by David Morrell. On Friday, Jake Paul makes his return. It's been a few months since Jake beat Nate Diaz. He is back on Friday night taking on Andre August. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN. Uh, Jake's going to join me a little bit later in the show. And I, I get into a lot of things with Jake, from the decision to take on a relatively unknown commodity in Andre August to his ongoing feud with KSI. Will we ever see Jake Paul and KSI in the ring together? Plus, ask him to put his promoter hat on for a minute and tell me what is going on with the Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano stuff. I mean, it was like 10 months ago where we were talking about Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano signed, sealed, delivered for a rematch in Ireland. Katie Taylor has fought a couple of times since then. Amanda Serrano has fought a couple of times since then. There doesn't seem to be any momentum for a Taylor-Serrano rematch. I'll get into it with Jake Paul later in the show. Also this weekend, Sonny Edwards, Bam Rodriguez, flyweight unification fight in Glendale, Arizona. I'm headed down to Arizona later this week to call that fight for DeZona. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm ready for it. Um, this is the best against the best. This is the best guy, I think, in 112, and has been that way for a couple of years now, in Sonny Edwards. And you've got Bam Rodriguez, a two-division world title holder, beat some legends up at 115 pounds, came down, won a title in his last fight at 112. I think this is going to be a terrific matchup. It is a great clash of styles with Bam Rodriguez, the boxer-puncher, Sonny Edwards, the more classic boxer, uh, I think it's going to be great. That's a fight you can, that's going to take place uh, in Glendale on Saturday. Uh, Corey Erdman, senior boxing writer over at BoxingScene.com. He is going to join me to talk about all that, from the Sonny Bam fight to Jake Paul. And we're going to get into what we saw last weekend from Devin Haney because this was, I use the word masterful because that's exactly what it was. All three scorecards, 120-107. How often do you see all three judges agree on that type of scorecard. That's how brilliant the performance by Devin Haney was. And Regis Progre coming in was no slouch. I thought Regis Progre was the number one guy in the 140-pound division coming into that fight based on all the accomplished at 140. And Devin Haney made him look amateurish in that fight. Progre landed 36 punches. That is a CompuBox record for the fewest punches thrown in a 12-round fight. Sky's the limit. For Devin Haney. I get into all that and much more with Corey Erdman. Uh, before we get into that, one thing I want to just weigh in on because it caught my eye when I was doing prep for this show. Uh, Malik Scott is the trainer for Deontay Wilder, and he's a really good boxing mind. I like Malik. He's done some good things with Wilder. He worked well with Zerto Ramirez for Zerto's last fight against Joe Smith. But you know, Malik Scott has this habit of portraying Deontay Wilder as this lethal weapon. And look, he is. He's the biggest puncher in boxing today, one of the biggest heavyweight punchers of all time, uh, an absolute cannon for a right hand. But Malik Scott, in an interview recently, said something to the effect that he hopes that Joseph Parker's corner is looking out for him because Deontay Wilder is a dangerous man and bad things can happen in a boxing ring if your corner is not looking out for you. And, and when I'm reading that, I'm just kind of over all this. I'm over Deontay Wilder, you know, 
threatening to kill people in the ring, saying things in the past like, I want to catch a body. I'm over Malik Scott saying that Joseph Parker's team needs to look out for him. Like, I mean, keep that same energy the other way. I mean, it's kind of ironic that Malik Scott, the trainer for Deontay Wilder, is telling Joseph Parker's corner to look out for him after Deontay Wilder fired Mark Breland from his corner for looking out for him. So I, I find that to be you know, pretty ironic. And look, Deontay Wilder is dangerous. The most likely outcome of Wilder against Parker is Deontay Wilder wins by knockout. But let's not dismiss Joseph Parker as this kind of, you know, stumble bum getting in the ring with Wilder. This is a former heavyweight champion, a guy that went 12 rounds with Anthony Joshua. Did get knocked out by Joe Joyce, but Joe Joyce, the pressure Joe Joyce applied in that fight was the difference maker uh, against Joseph Parker. Uh, look, I, I do agree with the general sentiment that corners should look out for their fighters, but this idea that like Joseph Parker is completely overmatched, it's ridiculous. And look, Joseph Parker's also got a little bit of power, and if he winds up carving up Deontay Wilder in this fight, which... You know, could happen. Wilder's only fought one round in the last two years. He's getting up there in age. Uh, and again, Joseph Parker is a pretty good fighter. I hope they keep that same energy on the other side if it turns out to go that direction. I, I just had to say something about that because it just was was bothering me. Reading When I read all this stuff about, you know, the danger of fighting a Deontay Wilder, boxing is a dangerous business in general. And the reality is, the bad things that happen in boxing often happen not as a result of one punch, but an accumulation of punches. When you look at the guys that have had tragic outcomes in the ring, very rarely is it because of one shot. Usually it's, you know, 11 rounds of punishment that leads to some long-term damage. So, uh, look, it's a good, it's a good fight. We're going to talk more about it next week. We're going to talk about that entire day of reckoning card in Saudi Arabia next week. But I just had to get that off my chest. I'm just getting exhausted by this idea that Deontay Wilder is a lethal weapon and nobody should get in the ring with him. And if you do, you better be careful uh, about the outcome. All right, let's move on. Corey Erdman, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He joins me. does a great job writing about the sport for Boxing Scene, broadcasting for DAZN, ESPN+. And Corey, before we get into... All that's going on this upcoming weekend, Jake Paul, Sonny Edwards, Bam Rodriguez, uh, among others. Uh, we got to talk about what we saw last weekend because, you know, I went into that Devin Haney-Regis Progre fight believing that like a 9-3 scorecard was probably the most likely outcome. Devin Haney was, you know, the overwhelming betting favorite to win that fight by decision. I, I did hold out some hope that, or hope might be the wrong word, but some belief that Regis Progre would uh, you know, make it interesting at some point in the fight, the same way maybe that Jorge Linares made it interesting against Devin Haney at some point during that fight. Uh, and I did certainly believe that Progre would win some rounds because he's legit 140-pounder. Devin was going up to 140 for the first time. You know, Regis didn't look great in his last fight, but two fights before that, he beat down Jose Zepeda. I, if you had told me this fight was going to end 120-107, on all three scorecards. I just wouldn't have believed it. I, I just didn't think there was that big a gap between Devin Haney and Regis Progre, but there was, uh, and then some. So give me your thoughts on what you saw last Saturday between Haney and Progre. Yeah, I thought it was an absolute masterpiece from uh, Devin Haney. And, you know, I 
would never have predicted that this this was going to be 120-107, but I did think that there were always going to be big stylistic challenges for Regis Progre. I think that Progre's method of offense is generally to try to slip something to get to the inside. And when you have a fighter who's as disciplined as Devin Haney is and who has as accurate as a jab as Haney does, I always thought that there was going to be some extreme difficulty for Haney. But I did think that at some point, just through sheer attrition, um, that Progre was eventually going to get in there. And I don't know that one time Progre was able to work on the inside for even an instant. And, and when you look at those punch totals at the end of the fight, at 36 landed punches, I mean, that's... And and none of those punches really were of consequence. They just happened to touch Devin Haney at, at some point. But, I mean, this was a thorough undressing of a top caliber fighter of a guy that had an argument to be the top 140 pounder in the world, wherever you want to rank him, you know, somewhere from one to three, this is one of the best in the world at 140 and has proven that he has been for a long time. And Haney just didn't have any trouble with him whatsoever. And also didn't do anything silly to allow Progre to get into this fight, which really would have been his only chance, which is if Haney at some point decided, okay, I'm going to stand and trade just for fun. Uh, he didn't do any of that. And it worked to his favor. I, I mean, the, the complete dominance I think was more valuable than say him staying in there and scoring another knockdown because short of a knockout, the, the thorough domination that he showed in this fight, I think is, um, that's more impressive than anything that he could have done short of knocking Progre clean out. Yeah, look, you got to give his father, Bill Haney, a lot of credit for the game plan, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Devin's had some absolutely fantastic game plans in recent years. You know, the two fights against George Cambosis, he kept Cambosis on the end of that jab, beat him that way. Against Lomachenko, ghost the body over and over again, beat him that way. This fight against Progre, it, look, there wasn't a lot of complicated strategy, I thought, involved in it. It was simply move to Progre's uh, right to stay away from his left. And he was able to do that the entirety of that fight. Of those 36 punches, I don't think a single one was a, a left hand of any consequence. They were all just kind of touch stuff, the kind of stuff that Devin Haney, like, you know, as he said in the post fight interview, kind of allowed through so he could get Progray to maybe engage and fall into some traps. Uh, it, it was masterful. And look, the, the, the strength of of Devin Haney, I thought, was on display at this weight class. He knocked Progray down in the third round. A couple of times in the second half of the fight, he had him wobbled. I'm sure he was tempted to go in there and go for the proverbial kill. But, uh, you know, Haney, you know, was disciplined there, knew that Progray's only chance of getting to him was to turn it into kind of a firefight, turn it into a street fight, and he stayed away from him. He was disciplined. He was sharp. Look, I had Regis as the top guy at 140 going into that fight. That was largely because... The body of work, right? He's a two-time champion in that weight class. Uh, been at that division a long time. And for Devin Haney to go out there and just beat down a guy like that in the way that he did, it, it was remarkable. It really was remarkable to see. Did it tell you anything else about Haney and kind of what he, how he's improved as a fighter, you know, over the last couple of fights? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he learned some important lessons from his past, and I think that that he uh, alluded to to it. I think he might have even said it to you, Chris, in the ring afterwards, that he learned from that Jorge Linares fight, yeah. uh, you know, not to do anything silly just because you think that you can, um, you know, and that was 
the same type of fight. Maybe it wasn't as thorough a domination as this one, but this was a fight that was a fight that Haney had in complete control, gets rocked once, and then suddenly it's a big question mark all, all the way down uh, to the final bell. But I, I think that he's shown that he is as disciplined a fighter inside the ring as there is in the sport right now in terms of top-level guys. And that... Uh, that level of discipline and his gifts, the the reach, the length, um, the, like the, the subtle footwork, the ability to always stay in punching range without running, uh, that's going to be a really, really difficult puzzle for a lot of fighters to solve. And, and we've seen some brilliant tactical fighters uh, just not have all the answers or any answers in some case for uh, Devin Haney throughout his career. Um, I, I, you know, I will say that there was some subtlety to Haney's game plan as well. I think that he and Bill kind of alluded to it in some of their interviews after the fight. The one thing they noticed was um, the particular rhythm that Progre has and when he leans to either side. And Progre just wasn't able to clue in to the fact that Haney had that timed. So yes, it was negating the left hand that was part of it, but there was some intricacy to it there. And I think that we saw it against Lomachenko too, that they saw one particular weakness that they could target over and over again, which is that Lomachenko is hittable to the body. And they honed in on that against Progre. They, they see which way is this guy moving and they can time that a little bit. And that is, I think there's a commitment to game plan that isn't just, oh, here's an aggressive guy. Our game plan is move. Here's a, a guy that moves back. We're going to go and apply pressure. There's some very finite intricacy that the Haney's and all of the other people that they dabble with and employ from time to time, um, you know, there there is a uh, there's a studious nature to how they prepare for fights that I think is on a different level. Yeah, and it's different than how some top guys prepare for fights. Some top guys they kind of say, "I'm going to do me, and what I do is better than what you do." And for some top guys, that works. The Haney's while they do have unflinching belief in Devin's ability, uh, they do design specific game plans for the opponents that they are going up against. And they do study the minute details. Like Devin told us in the fighter meetings this past week that one of the reasons he was hit by as many left hands as he got hit by, by Lomachenko was because he was trying to veer towards his left hand. And when he said that, I kind of scratched my head. I was like, well, what do you mean you're trying to get hit by left hands from the left-handed fighter? He said, no, no, no. Vasily Lomachenko is a right-handed guy. He said, we noticed when he was signing autographs that he did it with his right hand. So we designed a game plan to move towards his left. Now, sometimes guys say stuff like that and you don't really believe it. With the Haney's, I'm starting to believe some of this stuff because of how detailed they are with their preparation. And when he was preparing for Progre, you know, when we're in that fighter meeting, I asked him, like, you know, that that herky-jerky style that Regis has, you know, is that going to be a potential challenge for you? How do you deal with that? He kind of smiled at me and goes, I like it. I like that style. And to your point, that's probably why. He probably knew it wasn't a random herky-jerky style. There, ha there was some symmetry to it. There was a pattern to it that he could ultimately time. Because, you know, you saw Regis, and, like, by the third round, when he got knocked down... There was no movement to him. He was a stationary target. He was just kind of moving forward. His team kept telling him, go to the right. His team kept telling him, move more, get more head movement. But Regis was just beaten. He was beaten in the first half of the fight. And and there was no really no coming back from it. So as, as brilliant as Devin is as a boxer, his preparation is second to none. His game plans 
are second to none right now. They, they really yeah. are elite at that part of the game. Yeah, and, and I want to make one more point on that too, and it's something that I found really fascinating about Haney, and I, I wrote it. I wrote about this after the Linares fight, which is that he um, is fairly egoless in, in this regard. He doesn't care where the information that he's getting comes from. He will go to his opponent after the fight and ask them, you know, hey, like, what did you think of my power? What, what did, what did I do here? You know, when I did this, what did you think? There was a, a, a well, the a power scene that went out. The power, yeah. the power, there's ego to the power. He he does yes, want yeah. to be a power puncher on some level. And believe me, I, I would bet that the the most gratifying part of beating Progre for Haney was probably knocking him down and probably right. hurting him through the course of that fight. Sure, yeah, there's ego involved there, but but he's still trying to get information and he wants and he's willing to ask his opponents and and get honest answers from them. There was that scene um that was captured that kind of floated around social media of him talking to Lenares after the fight and asking him questions knowing that there's just a little bit for him to to learn after the fight and I noticed Chris even in your interview with him in the ring the, Devin said it was kind of in passing. It was kind of in the middle of a sentence. He said, I, I, I can't wait to talk to him after the fight. And so that registered with me and, and said to me, like, I bet that Devin went into Regis's in, into his locker room and was trying to extract a little bit something. Like he is always trying to learn something. And that is uh, that's that is an attribute that I don't always see. I mean, you know, fighters learn in very in very different ways but i haven't seen a fighter learn quite like this before in all the fighters that i've been around over my years so i think devin right now is top five pound for pound um i think the only guys that have a case to be ranked ahead of him are terrence crawford no in a way uh canelo alvarez and alexander Usyk. i think those four guys that's it devin to me is at worst fifth on the pound for pound rankings but more than that if you zoom out a little bit you have to start looking at Devin Haney as being on kind of a Mayweatherian path, right? Because, look, he's 25 years old. And if you look at his accomplishments, they line up, they track with a lot of the accomplishments that Floyd Mayweather had at age 25. Um, he has 31 wins at age 25. Floyd Mayweather at 25 had 28. Uh, he has won now five world titles. Floyd Mayweather only had one at that point. He has uh, been in, I think, 10 world title fights. If you include the interim title he won against Zahra Abdullayev a couple of years ago, Mayweather at that point had been in 11. He's headlined a couple of pay-per-views. Mayweather, his first pay-per-view wasn't until a little bit later when he fought Arturo Gatti. And look, he's now officially a draw, right? Because he did 14,400 with Lomachenko at uh, at the was T-Mobile MGM Grand Garden Arena uh, earlier in the year. This fight sold out 16,000. This is a real sellout too. This wasn't like here's, you know, 16,000 people in the stands and 8,000 of them paid for their tickets. This was 16,000 paying customers that came through the Chase Center to watch Devin Haney fight. So look, it's almost sacrilegious to some people to say that Devin Haney is, you know, on the same path as Floyd Mayweather. To even make the comparison, some people hate. But I don't know how you dispute it. Corey. This guy's got the talent. This guy's showcases some power. This guy is chasing world titles and legacy. Um, and this guy's starting to become a draw. So when I look at Devin Haney, I see the heir to Mayweather in, in many ways. 
Yeah, and you know, people think of it as blasphemous. You know, I'm I'm sure that people were angry that uh, you know there was even the graphic on the broadcast. You know, that, that you guys uh, put together. Numbers speak for um, themselves. Well, yeah, and and number one, you know, the accomplishments are close enough that it's fair to make that comparison. But also, I mean, who else do you want to compare people to? I mean, Mayweather is kind of that north star in in terms of recent athletes, and that's who people are striving to be. But also, I would say that. Yes, it, it seems bla blasphemous because Mayweather reached these like galactical levels and it's impossible really to say, like if you ask me, will anyone uh, like presently boxing right now reach Floyd Mayweather's levels uh, in terms of popularity or money? And I would say no. And I, I would be pretty confident in saying that, but that's no slight to any of those fighters. But in terms of guys who could come close you know, or who would be this generation's version of it, Devin Haney would seem to be one of those acceptable answers. And I would also say that, let's say Floyd, you transplant Floyd and the fighters that he's fighting and you put him in this era at the same time as Devin Haney, it would feel like it would be fair to make those comparisons if he were contemporary. It's a lot harder because in hindsight, we see the heights that Floyd reached. Uh, we can properly contextualize the opponents that he beat at the time. By that point, he had beaten two guys who went on to the Hall of Fame. So, of course, it looks great. But, you know, fast forward 20 years and like let's take even Devin's career to this point. He will have beaten Vasily Lomachenko, who's probably going to the Hall of Fame. Jorge Linares, who, uh, depending on when he gets on the ballot... He's going to have that argument, too, and then we'll see what else he does, uh, you know, before the end of the year. But I think that the, the comparison is fair because Devin is one of boxing's draws right now. You can put him in different markets and he will draw and he will be uh, I, I foresee longevity which is the key to this. It's a style that he has that is something that he can replicate of fight after fight. He's adaptable. Um, and the level of popularity uh, and, and the way that he's conducted himself, the way that he and Bill um, tap into the culture outside of boxing, through fashion, through music, it pretends longevity in terms of popularity as well. So, like, will Devin match all of Floyd's accomplishments and make the same amount of money? Like, probably not. But in terms of this generation, this batch of fighters, I think he has the case to be as close as we're going to get. Yeah. You you would need a perfect storm of events to happen to match or exceed Floyd Mayweather's uh, revenue in the ring because you would need a crossover fight like Floyd had with Conor McGregor. You would need a mega fight like Floyd had with Manny Pacquiao. Those things, they're not there right now for Devin Haney. But again, just 25. And what he's done at 25 is right parallel to along the same track of what Floyd Mayweather's done at this point. So I think the comparison... I yeah, is fair. Go ahead. And I was gonna, just one one more point on that. One thing to remember is that Devin and Bill they have done this all themselves. Yeah. Devin's early fights were on YouTube with someone in Haney's camp shooting them themselves on an iPhone and mm -hmm. posting it to YouTube, and Devin wasn't getting paid. Floyd Mayweather was in the Olympics. He was fighting on network television from seventeen onwards, and then had the mechanisms of HBO, which. With all due respect to the the network that we work for right now, there is a foothold that HBO had on the culture, and, 
And it was just appointment viewing because there were fewer options. And Floyd benefited from that and all, everything that came from it. Devin had to do it himself and is now in a very different time and is still reaching the heights that he's at right now. And I think that that is an important point to make. And, and it's something that they need to be commended for as well. Well, I think he's also creating a blueprint that other young fighters should follow in the modern age because network TV isn't what it used to be because HBO isn't out there as the only game in town. There has to be uh, different avenues to take. And the avenue that Devin Haney took was he effectively bet on himself. It, it wasn't that he couldn't sign with a promoter straight out of the amateur ranks. He just didn't want to. He didn't like the offers, didn't want to tie himself to any kind of long-term deal. So he chose to go to Mexico, which does come with risk. I mean, you don't know who you're fighting in Mexico. And we all know all the things Reed just said about the allegations of a loss, all those uh, those rumors. The reality is... You could be taking on a guy whose record says he's like 5-3-1 and one, when the reality is he could be like 40-12-2. Like you just don't know who these guys are that you're taking on when you go down to Mexico. When he came and fought stateside, he did his own deal with Showtime. When he finally signed a deal with Matchroom, it was not a four or a five-year deal with a whole bunch of options on the back end of that contract. It was a short-term deal. When he signed the deal with Top Rank and Lou DiBella, it was an even shorter-term deal. Now he's back with Matchroom, and you know I think Matchroom has some matching rights or another fight with him. So I don't know the exact details of the contract, but it's an even shorter deal. So Devin Haney has given himself the freedom to move around and cherry-pick the best opportunities and to look for the biggest and best fights. And if I'm a young fighter, and I know, again, I know there's risk that comes with this. You, you walk away from guaranteed money. But if I'm a young fighter, I'm looking at what Devin Haney did. You know, say, you know what? I'm coming out of the Olympics. I'm coming out of the amateur ranks with some buzz. I'm going to bet on myself early on. I'm going to take short money to go fight in Mexico or fight without a major promoter. And then when I'm 10 fights in, 12 fights in, 15 fights in, let's see what the offers are then. They won't be quite as restrictive uh, and they might come with more opportunity over the long term. So I like what Devin Haney's done uh, in that respect. So along those lines, what does he do next? You know, Devin wants big events. Devin wants big fights. Let's eliminate some things right at the top, Corey. Uh, it's not going to be Teofimo. Uh, Teofimo, I, I don't know exactly when he's going to fight. Top Rank would like to see him fight sometime in February. I still don't know if that's going to happen, but... Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez is not going to be a fight in February or March. Neither, I think, is Ryan Garcia. Um, Oscar De La Hoya tweeted out there, I'm going to try to make Devin against Ryan next. Ryan tweeted his interest in the fight, but my read on it is that you're much more likely to see Ryan Garcia face either Roly Romero for that WBA belt or the winner of O'Hara Davies against Ismael Barroso, which will be for the interim version of the WBA title. So I think Ryan's on a track that will get him to Devin Haney, but it won't happen in the next fight. The fight that makes the most sense and the fight that is the most makeable, at least from a logistical perspective, is Devin versus Tank Davis. Like, you, you could not be better set up for a Devin versus Tank fight because not only is Devin accomplished, because he, but he was already accomplished. He was already undisputed champion dating back to last year. But now Devin has shown he can make some money. He can be an attraction. He can put butts in the seats in the same way he did in San Francisco. If I'm Tank Davis and 
I've already proven myself as, as a star. I, I've sold out buildings all across the country. I'm coming off a big win over Ryan Garcia. If I'm Tank Davis, am I not looking at this Haney fight thinking, this is a great opportunity for me? Yeah, he'd have to go up to 140 because Devin's not coming back down to 135. I mean, we'll get into this later, but Devin is a huge 140-pounder. Um, yeah. But if you're, if you're Tank Davis, isn't it worth the risk? And if you're PBC and you just signed this splashy new deal with Amazon, what better fight to either be the first or second fight on that platform than Tank Davis versus Devin Haney? The star versus the accomplished guy. The money guy versus the title guy. Like, there's clearly do much better than that. I'm terrible at, at, uh, at labeling fights. But it, it just is a natural fit because I said this on air, and I'll repeat it here. There is nobody... Nobody that wants to see Tank Davis against Esau Cruz. The only people that want to see that are Esau Cruz and Sean Gibbons. They're the only people on earth that want to see that fight happen. Um, if you make Tank Davis against Esau Cruz 2 on Amazon pay-per-view, it is dead on arrival. It is a financial bloodbath. Esau Cruz is not going to sell pay-per-views in a rematch. Yes, it was a competitive fight he had with Tank Davis. But since then, it's not like Esau Cruz has been taking on world beaters out there and proving himself at the top level. He's not done what, say, David Benavidez has been doing while Benavidez has been waiting for a shot at Canelo. Nobody wants to see Tank against Esau Cruz. A lot of people want to see Tank against Devin Haney. So, PBC don't listen to my advice, that's for sure. But if they want to make a big event early in that Amazon deal. There aren't many bigger events, I think, than Tank Davis versus Devin Haney. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, could top out somewhere in the in the million pay-per-view buy territory, you know, but anything over, you know, 500,000 is a very profitable pay-per-view. And I think that the combination of those two uh, would certainly bring that. I mean, I'm hesitant to go all the way up to uh, a million because it, a tank it's obviously just, has more, proven that's itself more, to be a very Corey, that, That's more about like, th this is a different conversation, but yeah. the pay-per-view as a vehicle to produce high revenue is fading fast because, and not because these events aren't good, but because piracy is just rampant. I mean, I, I was in, like, for an example... I was checking out of the hotel in San Francisco on uh, Sunday, and the guy at the front desk goes, "Yeah, I saw you on on TV last night." I go, "Hey, I, you, you, I think I said you bought the fight," and he goes, "No, I streamed it." <laughs> so, like you're, <laughs> you, like, and you go on YouTube, and there are people streaming, you know, the fight all the time. TikTok people streaming the fight all the time. So it's a different conversation, but like the reason sure. that it's going to get more and more difficult to do 700, 800 million pay per view plus type of events is because people just steal them because piracy is both rampant and fairly easy for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Uh, so um, in a perfect world, this is <laughs> that that's a fight that could touch those numbers, uh, you know, if everyone didn't pirate it. But it's, it's an extremely profitable fight. And it's also one 
that seemingly the fighters want. You know, there there seems to be animosity between the two, and particularly in the days leading up to the fight, and then especially afterwards, uh, Devin and Bill really kind of crossed the line of, uh, I, I don't mean crossed the line in, in a pejorative way, I mean, like, entered into the territory of really targeting Tank and the Mayweathers. You know, in the beginning of their career, and, and I, I wrote about this on Monday on, on Boxing Scene, very explicitly, their blueprint was Floyd Mayweather. You know, Bill at a young age told a young Devin, hey, look at Floyd. That's someone that like, that's who you want to be. Let, let's follow that model. And and they did. And they were even in that gym. They learned from Floyd Sr. He has been, um, you know, the, the inspiration for a lot of things that Devin has done inside and outside of the ring. But now they kind of feel confident that that they can go after this guy, that the, the person that they idolized is someone that they can now target and target his protege. It's a fascinating storyline. And it's a combination of fighters that, again, really have a foothold outside of just boxing popularity. You know, Devin, I think, has shown that, you know, he has a level of popularity in the hip hop world. He started to get kind of referenced in rap songs. Uh, he has ties to the fashion world, the choices that he makes and what he wears in the ring, the designers that he works with. And Tank does too. Tank has long been established in those regards too. This is a fight that could transcend just the the hardcore boxing nerds out there uh, and really do numbers at the gate uh, and on the television set. Uh, that that it's the kind of event that we should be pushing for. So if we can make it, obviously that's that's the one that I want, and it seems like it's the one that the fighters want. But will the mechanisms within the sport get in the way of that uh, remains to be seen. Look, and Devin's following is is growing. He's got, I think, almost 3 million followers on Instagram. The numbers mm -hmm. he's been putting up on YouTube in terms of promotional uh, events have been pretty good. And look, I, I think if that fight ever got made, the buildup to it would be intense for the reasons that you laid out there. But also, I think that Tank Davis would probably take a page out of Regis Progress playbook and basically call Devin Haney, you know, rich kid <laughs> I mean, sure. i'm searching for the right phrases here but like he would go after him because tank davis you know he comes from one place in baltimore devin haney as regis progray pointed out repeatedly during this pro the, the the press tour never really had to work for it had some money grew up in henderson nevada all the things that you know regis did to try to get under devin's skin i think tank davis would do the exact same thing and i think it would make the build up to that fight intense i think that fight would do really well i also think it's the last time that we're going to have the opportunity to make a fight like that. Because Devin Haney, sooner rather than later, is going to be moving up in weight again. He weighed 165 pounds, Corey, on yeah. fight night. He rehydrated 25 pounds in 24 hours. That, according to the California State Athletic Commission, that is Zerto Ramirez-type numbers. Like, that's a huge rehydration. So when Devin says he's thinking about testing the waters at welterweight... That's not lip service. Like, he actually needs to move up and wait at some point in the very near future. I think he'd stay at 140 for a Tank Davis. I think he'd stay at 140 for a Ryan Garcia. But either way, he's not staying at 140 uh, all that much longer. So I would, uh, if there's an opportunity, I would jump on it because that is one of the biggest fights you can make in 2024. All right, let's talk about a couple other things. Jake Paul, back in action this weekend uh, in Florida. Third fight of the year for Jake Paul. He's going to take on a guy named Andre August. Uh, Corey, you are deeper in the weeds on the lesser-known boxers than I am. But 
I got to tell you, I had no idea who Andre August was when they made this fight. He is, and this is not being disrespectful, but he is a club fighter in the Texas area. He's 10 and one. So he's got a little bit of experience. He's got some golden gloves, uh, golden gloves background. Uh, but you know, he is very much an unknown coming into this fight, which is why it surprised me that Jake Paul took this fight because I don't know exactly what the upside is for him. Andre August is not ranked by any of the sanctioning bodies. Andre August is not well-known in the boxing community. If you watch the press conference on Wednesday, Andre August says nothing. Like he brought nothing <laughs> to the table in that press conference. What do you make of Jake Paul taking on an opponent like this to end the year? Well, I, I think for a couple fights now, and you know, we, we talk about Jake every time he fights because he commands that kind of, uh, of attention and, and he has a level of importance within our sport that I, I was curious when uh, that strategy of fighting uh, former or current MMA fighters, when that was going to run out because the, an issue for Jake was always going to be, you know, how long is he willing to fight so long as his opponents can't be famous people that aren't quite as good as the public knows. And that that was basically the model that, that he's carried for the most part to this point, with the exception of the Tommy Fury fight. And uh, more and more, I think Jake has wanted to, to plead for legitimacy. And I think that that's what this is. I think that this is a, a request to be taken seriously as a normal fighter. And so in that sense... I mean, this fight is kind of like a it's it's a loss leader, you know, it's like a, at the supermarket when they they get you in the door with like, you know, blueberries are like three bushels for five dollars. And then you get in there and spend, you know, twenty dollars on, you know, uh, premium granola or whatever. Like it's I think this is Jake There's trying to get you in the door. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying here. Um, this is Jake trying to get people on board. Uh, with the idea that he is going through the the more conventional path that fighters would take. And I think that Jake has really doubled down. He keeps mentioning, you know, I'm going to fight Canelo one day. I will be world champion. And by kind of repeating it, you know, he'll say it's it's Jake, uh, you know, trying to act, actualize you know, what he's visualizing and whatnot. But I think it, it's a good PR strategy to put that out there in the world to convince people to try to to buy into this journey of Jake Paul as legitimate boxer who actually is trying to go through the conventional channels. And so this is just the start of that. But but I am curious, you know, how long will people be willing to go along for that ride? How many Andre Augusts can he face before people get tired of it? We'll see. I think there's probably just one. And look, I, I said this to Jake coming up later in the show that this feels like very high risk for relatively low reward. He's going to make some money on it, of course. It'll do a good crowd in Orlando, but this is not a mega event. And if you lose to an Andre August, that's a wrap. Like, you yes. don't bounce back from that. You can bounce back from a loss to Tommy Fury, given how the fight played out. You knocked down Tommy Fury towards the end. Um, and I'm not sure how much better Tommy Fury is than Andre August, quite frankly. But if you lose to Andre August... You're one and two in 2023. There's probably no coming back from that, at least not as a legitimate boxer. You can stay on the influencer circuit. You can keep uh, you know, pursuing those fights with guys like KSI. But this dream of becoming a world champion probably ends if you lose to an Andre August. So what do you think about that dream, though? Because, look, Jake, for a while, and I've covered Jake extensively. I mean, I've written... God knows how many stories for SI.com at this point. Put them on the cover of Sports Illustrated over the summer. Uh, so I've got a P 
PhD in Jakeology at this point. Um, up until like this year, he really wasn't talking much about winning championships. In fact, it was kind of the opposite where he would say things like, you know, I'm not looking to become a world champion. I'm not looking to do this. He's just, when he was early in his career, he wasn't talking about winning world titles. Now, he's talking about it in virtually every interview. He's talking about taking on Canelo in many interviews. Um, he wants a piece of that world title. Uh, look, he's got to get through an under August 1st, and he's got to get through a bunch of other guys. But can you see Jake Paul in a world title fight as late, as early as next year, as late as two years? Like, do you think that's a possibility for a guy like him? Uh, I mean, listen, I, I think that... <laughs> If all things were actually equal, and this weren't Jake Paul, if this were a, a person with Jake Paul's abilities, I would say no. The answer no. would be no. Yeah, the answer, the, the answer would no. be no. But I think that there is definitely a way to game this. I mean, listen, like the, the WBC just like, you know, sponsored like a, a cryptocurrency, you know, like fucking like virtual event on Fight TV the other day. Like the WBC you know, might want to present itself as this like paragon of fairness or something like that, but they, they will go where the money is. Right. And Jake Paul shameless. Uh, I, I, I think one thing that he will be able to benefit from now and something that he's benefited from the whole way really is time and resources and Jake Paul taking on club fighters with nice looking records that probably don't have resources, probably have to go like work a day job and then train like with whoever, I mean, he's going to be, he will probably be able to rack up a bunch of wins against guys whose records look decent enough. And when they look decent enough, a sanctioning body at some point is more than likely going to say, man, I want, I want a piece of this cash. Let's throw him in there at number 15. And then suddenly that, he's that's available me, Corey, for a world that, title fight. Yeah, that's, it's that, going to happen. So yes, my answer is yes. Like can, you know, my answer would be yes too, because some way, somehow, I think someone, like you said, will put him in that mix. My, my challenge, maybe I'm giving sanctioning bodies too much credit, which is probably the first time I've ever said that on this podcast. But how do you rank Jake Paul in your top 15 where he becomes eligible to fight for a world title? What's the pathway? Like as shameless as the WBC was when they said they would rank the winner of Jake versus Tommy Fury. Tommy only got ranked like what, like 38 or something like that. He was in the high 30s. He didn't get ranked at a championship level. Like the biggest, most shameless thing the WBC did recently was put Francis Ngannou at number 10. I would love, love to Mauricio Suleiman explain to me how Francis Ngannou deserves at it with an 0-1 record to be ranked ahead of Philip Hergovich and Jay Li Zhang. Love to hear that explanation. You welcome back, Mauricio, anytime. But getting to 15 without taking on a dangerous guy is... Difficult. So is Jake Paul going to, you know, think of a non a dangerous non-title holder at 175? I don't know who that would be. Maybe if better be have loses to Callum Smith, maybe Jake Paul takes him on. I wouldn't recommend that, but maybe he does something like that. Um, cruiserweight, not a talent-rich division, at least not a division full of names. Maybe he takes on a top 15 guys there, gets a win or has a good showing. Maybe somebody bumps him up in that respect. But Getting eligible, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge. I have no doubt that these champions will want to face him. I mean, Canelo's already making some noise about it. 
Dimitri Bivol would do it in a heartbeat. Archer Betterbeev would do it in a heartbeat. Uh, but you can't take on a guy in a title fight unless they are ranked by the sanctioning bodies. I think that's going to be Jake's biggest challenge. How does he get ranked? I don't, I don't really see the pathway to, to getting there if I'm Jake Paul. Like, like, could Canelo fight him in a non-title fight? Sure, I could see that in 2025. Why wouldn't he? I mean, if Jake continues to rack up wins against low-level guys and influencers, his uh, reputation as a boxer may not grow that much, but his marketability will, and that's really all someone like Canelo would ultimately be interested in. But again, if a sanctioning body winds up just doing this for no reason, then I'll stand corrected. But I'm going to believe that these sanctioning bodies are not going to just give him a ranking unless he has a win or a good showing against a top-level guy. I, but the, the, the reality is that's not that's not always the case. Like, as you were talking, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm curious about this. Let's just pull up, you know, a, an aggregate of all the rankings right now. And there are definitely people, you know, in that, like, 15 to 10 range in every weight division who you look at and you're like, who in the fuck? is that and who did they beat to get there like here's an example you know in in the ibf at cruiserweight zhao jingzhang is the number 15 rated contender now i called his fight against riyadh murhi in in uh in belgium back in 2021 in order to get that shot his best win was over uh wang who is a nine and one club level chinese cruiserweight he had never beaten anyone whatsoever and got that title shot, got absolutely destroyed, bounces back with one win in Dubai, and he's right back at number 15 in the in the, the world rankings. Like, this happens all the time. People sneak in there. I mean, like Jan Pellerin, who's a Canadian club fighter, uh, snuck in at number 15 <laughs> at Cruiserweight at one point, and he laughed about it. He's like, I am not one of the 15 best Cruiserweights <laughs> in the world. He acknowledged how farcical it was. This can and will happen. I guarantee you that if he can just keep beating club fighters, he will be ranked in the top 15 by somebody over the next two years. I never thought we'd see the day where I show more faith in the sanctioning bodies, or you show more faith, more faith <laughs> in the sanctioning bodies than I do, Corey. That's, uh, that says something it's right there. It's going to happen. All right. Let's finish uh, with the the big fight this weekend. That's Sonny Edwards against Bam Rodriguez, 112-pound unification fight down in Glendale, Arizona. It's a fight you can watch live uh, on DAZN. We'll both be in Glendale uh, over the weekend. Uh, I I'm excited about this one uh, because it's really, to me, a coin flip type of fight. In Bam Rodriguez, you've got kind of the boxer-puncher, Sonny Edwards, the classic boxer. I can't sit here and guarantee it's going to be this aesthetically pleasing fight. I'm not expecting Gotti Ward uh, on Saturday, I'm not even expecting, frankly, uh, you know, Haney Progre or, you know, Garcia Duarte. Like, I just, I, I don't know how this fight's going to play out in the ring. But I do think it's going to be an interesting chess match between Sonny, who's going to try to box from the outside, and Bam, who's going to try to close the gap. So when you look at this fight, what are some of the variables for you uh, when it comes to Sonny Edwards and Bam Rodriguez? Yeah, this is a really fascinating fight, and and I can I can see it. I mean, I can see it going a, a variety of different directions. You know, like I can see Bam hurting Sonny early, and you know, like this becomes a very easy fight for him. I could see Sonny making this a horrendous fight, and you know, potentially nearly shutting out Bam Rodriguez. Or I could see, I think, the more likely possibility, which is that we have a lot of kind of 
tricky rounds to score, a lot of debatable rounds. And for me, when I'm thinking about right, this fight, to that. yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's going to be very hard. And as I was thinking about this fight, Chris, I, I, I kept thinking about the way that Sonny Edwards approaches fights and the way the patterns in how fights involving fighters like him are typically scored. You know, and and we think of fighters like Sonny, I mean, like explicit movers, guys who are looking to move, negate what their opponents are doing and win rounds. I'm thinking of, of our friend Sergio Mora. I'm thinking of Corey Spinks. I'm thinking of guys like that who like plan A is use as much of the ring as possible. And one thing that you see quite often in their fights, and we've seen it in Sonny Edwards' fights to this point, is that they're at a little bit of a disadvantage on the scorecards because the judges are never quite sure exactly what they're seeing. And sometimes it takes them a few rounds to clue in as to what they're seeing. And then sometimes around the midway point of the fight, they start second guessing what they're seeing. And, and what do I mean by that? I mean that there have been fights where Sonny Edwards, you know, take like the Muhammad Wasim fight, for example. I thought that there wasn't really uh, too too many moments in that fight where I thought that Sonny wasn't in control of what was happening in, in that fight. I thought that he was dictating what was happening. But yet they found rounds to give to, to Muhammad Wasim. And you see that on the scorecards in a lot of other Sonny Edwards fights where somehow, you know, they're giving four or five rounds to his opponents in fights where it looks like he's controlling things because judges don't have... Uh, the the luxury that I have as a commentator, which is that I can kind of take the first four or five rounds and take that in, in a capsule. I can put it in context and I can decide, okay, is this guy running from something or is he making someone run at him to, to, to you know, to is he dictating the terms of what is happening or is he avoiding what he thinks might happen to him? And I, I have the luxury of deciding what is actually happening. I can make that call and then I can start narrating. Judges have to score it round by round. And I think that sometimes with fighters like Sonny, it'll take them a while to clue in to the fact that he is actually controlling things or at a certain point, if that pattern persists, they start thinking, well, is, is he just running? I mean, uh, this guy can't quite get him. Like, is he not engaging enough? And so Sonny is kind of at a disadvantage on the scorecards here. And I think that that is a big hurdle for him to get over in a fight like this, where I don't think he's going to be able to hurt Bam. That's not really his game. He's not a big puncher. So I, you're going to see a lot of rounds that are going to look uh, pretty similar. And even when Sonny's having success, I think he's going to have to make these rounds really, really clear in order to get the benefit of the judge. And notice, I'm not saying it's because Bam is the, the home fighter or because we're in Arizona or anything like that. It's that his style is very difficult for judges to get a read on. And that, for me, is the biggest thing to watch out for unless Bam can hurt him early in the fight and that none of this matters. Oh, you also wouldn't be wrong, though, by pointing out that Bam is the home fighter and this fight is taking place in Arizona. Sure, because when you talk about variables, that is a variable. Sonny Edwards is coming effectively to Bam Rodriguez's backyard and trying to win a fight against him. Um, whether we like it or not, in boxing, that is something you have to take into account. Uh, a couple things for me. One, Sonny didn't look good in his last fight. Now, Sonny has kind of dismissed that as like, you know, I wasn't really up for Campos. I thought I was going to be fighting Bam Rodriguez. Bam got injured, uh, so I, had to I took this fight as a title defense. But he didn't look good against a guy that is a lot worse than Bam Rodriguez. And before we dismiss that as being much ado about nothing, kind of dismiss the pro-gray Zaria fight as much ado about nothing just last week. And that turned out to be 
maybe a little bit of a foreshadow of what was to come for Regis Progray. Now, they're in different positions. Regis Progray is 34. Sonny Edwards is 27. Still very much in the prime of his career. But he did not look good in his last fight, and that stands out to me. For Bam Rodriguez, uh, he's coming off a bad jaw injury. Broken jaw in a couple of different places. Like, how does that hold up? Now, you mentioned Sonny is not a big puncher, and that certainly works in the favor of Bam. But, you know, Bam was telling me a couple of months ago that he wasn't going to start sparring until November. That seemed kind of late to sort of pick up sparring when your fight is in mid-December. So I'm interested to see just how much trust Bam shows in that jaw early on. You know, can Sonny take advantage of it in some way? But, you know, you hit the nail on the head on you know, the style being difficult to score in favor of Sonny Edwards. He's going to throw and land a lot of the softer stuff. And Bam Rodriguez might not throw as much, but his punches are going to be harder. His punches are probably going to be more eye-catching. So this is going to be a fight that I think Sonny is going to have to win seven rounds, which obviously goes without saying, but seven rounds clean. Like he's going to need seven rounds that are beyond reproach. He, When it's close, I don't think the judges are likely to give Sonny the benefit of the doubt because he is probably going to be landing the softer punches, and he's not going to be coming forward. And aggressive fighters, they often get the benefit of the doubt on judges' scorecards. So th- this is you're going to have to have Sonny's A game in a fight like this. That's very difficult to have against a fighter with the kind of talent of Bam Rodriguez. Yeah, the, the big variable for me is that, and, and this is working in Sonny's favor, is that when Bam has looked and worst is very relative to him because, you know, he's looked pretty good uh, throughout his career. But when he's looked the, the least good has been when he's had to pursue. And Sonny is going to make him pursue because Bam's offense is best when he's either when he either has an opponent who's willing to kind of stand at mid range with him or is coming at him because Bam's offense is best when he can use angles, boxing a little bit off the back foot and and, and counter but Sonny doesn't really let anyone really use angles on him because he's always twisting and turning and, and he's, he's, he's switching stances. He's doing a lot. It's going to take a lot for Bam to do what he does best, which is make that quick pivot to land power shots because Sonny's going to be moving somewhere always. So I think that there's going to be a level of discomfort most likely for Bam uh, again, unless he can land something serious. Now, in watching Sonny throughout his career, one thing that Sonny will do is that he will playfully go to the ropes because he's very confident in his defense. He has tremendous eyes. He has tremendous feel and vision. I don't know that he can get away with doing that kind of stuff. It's one thing to do it against Campos or Alvarado. It's an entirely different thing to give a murderous puncher like Bam Rodriguez the opportunity to hit you freely. Even if you think that you can catch most of it, you don't want to make those decisions. And so um, if Sonny makes that kind of mental error, I think that if he does, Bam has to capitalize immediately. He has to take advantage of those chances when, you know, Sonny's ego is maybe going to get the best of him because at some point that likely is going to happen. Yeah, and it's dangerous for Sonny Edwards to anticipate that he can take any punches from Bam on the ropes because Bam is not just punching from straight angles. Bam is, you know, out of that kind of Lomachenko school, Devin Haney school where he steps around, where he is, if he, if you're standing there right in front of him in the blink of an eye, he's to your left or to your right. Like he is very good at creating those angles, which is something else he's going to have to try to do uh, over the course of this fight. It's going to be a good one though. I'm looking forward to it. Glendale, Arizona, 
Flyweight unification, 112 pound, two titles on the line. All right, Corey, good stuff, man. Check out Corey Erdman in boxingscene.com. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, we'll see you soon. And when we come back, my conversation with Jake Paul. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. All right, on Friday night, Jake Paul is back looking for his eighth professional win when he takes on veteran Andre August. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN. The co-main event is actually a terrific women's world title fight between former undisputed champion Franchon Cruz DeZern and Shadesha Green. Jake, I was watching the press conference, and uh, not a lot of fireworks between you and Andre August, but plenty of smoke between Shadesha and Franciana. I, I don't recall Shadesha being this surly a couple of years ago. You seem to be having a pretty profound impact on her. Yeah, look, I'm excited for that fight. I got hyped up. That that made me super excited, and it's it's cool. You know, like, I, I think that makes the fight more interesting, and Shadeja even said it like I'm her nickname is the sweet terminator so she's normally sweet and nice but apparently Franchon spit on her so I mean of course I've uh, that's gonna come up years later and uh man there's clear there's clearly some unsolved business there Franchon didn't deny she spit on her either so there's definitely some <laughs> some mess between those wild. two that's wild yo <laughs> So let's talk about you. Last summer, you beat Nate Diaz in kind of a grudge match. What was your thinking after that fight? And how did we get to Andre August? Yeah, my thinking has been stay active. You know, my goal, I wrote it down at the beginning of the year, is fight three times. Uh, so I had Tommy, Nate, and it was like, let's let's finish off the the goals for this year and get, get another one in, staying active on the path 
to world champion. And that's what my coaches are are really pushing on me. It's like, oh, you want this, Jake? All right. You have to fight and stay active and stay in camp and um, taking taking their advice and their leadership as well, because they've been in the game for for so long and know how to get there. Right. Jay Leon, a world champion. Third, uh, as a coach, has you know, tons of, of world champions and experience there. Same with Larry Wade. So we all have the same mindset and it's uh, it's about putting it into action um, and bettering myself. You could pick basically anyone out there on this level. Why Andre August? What are you looking for in this particular opponent? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking for experience under the lights, uh, a challenge, um, getting getting some good rounds and putting my, you know, taking what I did in camp and putting it into action, which as a lot of people in the boxing industry know, you could be amazing in, in the ring and, and be great in sparring and then uh, doing it all on fight night is is a little bit different of a skill set and it's about getting better at that the the nerves the the pressure dealing with all of these things and uh it's becoming more second nature and that's what i'm going to need when i get to these bigger names these tougher fights more rounds etc you know this august fight feels pretty high risk low reward for you is the upside just that that you can get experience against opponents like this to prepare you for bigger things next year it's the de- yeah it's delayed it's delayed gratification these fights that i'm taking now are gonna pay off in the long run and when i'm in tougher bouts in in a few years fighting 12 rounds against the best people in the sport i'm gonna look back at fights like these and be thankful that I did them uh, to go through maybe at moments of adversity to go through more camps. Um, Because if you don't have a fight that the training is wildly different, you could think you're working hard, but there's something about signing up to fight another man that just takes things to a whole nother level of preparation. So uh, this fight's going to have a lot of delayed gratification down the line. You know, your previous opponents have offered kind of some built-in motivation, whether it was Tommy Fury and Nate Diaz and all the talking that went around. Even Anderson Silva and Tyron Woodley were two UFC legends. What have you done to try to find the motivation for this fight? Uh, man, I don't know if I use – I don't think I use motivation that much in life because it's very um, short term and it burns up really fast. I think what more people need to do is figure out a goal and commit to the requirements of what it takes to reach that goal and not deviate at all. Um, And that's really what it's about. I think, the the love for the sport and doing this because I'm passionate about it is is you know more important and getting to those goals that I know I can achieve and and doing what is required of me to get there. So I'd like to think that I know a good amount about combat sports, but on the same night that you're fighting Andre August, 
I'm reading on social media that KSI, your longtime rival, is going to spar somebody named Speed and stream it online. What is the deal with that? Yeah, man, it's it's uh it's pretty wild. I think first and foremost, it's crazy for KSI to be, you know, hurting his distribution partner in the zone. It just shows what type of businessman he is. Uh, to basically be saying a fuck you to them. But on top of that, it's me living in this kid's head to him try to always one-up me as a 30-year-old doing a sparring match with his goal to be getting more views, uh, which I think is cute. Get the views. You know, we're chasing we're chasing two different things here. I'm chasing legacy, experience, a world championship, building and growing the sport of boxing, a WBC world championship as the co-main event getting Shadeja green to be a superstar um he's uh, wants to prove that he's gonna get more hype but i think it's backfiring just simply because everyone's now more talking about my event uh it's creating more buzz and at the end of the day um he's gonna he's gonna get some views and be happy and you know if that's what he wants in his life, then then go for it. I have no hate. There's enough room in this world for everybody. I can build my skyscraper as high as I want without trying to affect someone else's. But what he's trying to do is take down my skyscraper. You know, you mentioned two different goals, Jake, but the reality is you do want that matchup with KSI at some point. You want it. We both the zone wants it. Do you think in 2024 KSI is going to want it? I don't think he'll fight me ever. I, and I said that before I fought Gibb in my first professional fight. You can go back to the video that I posted on YouTube of me sitting in Big Bear in Shane Mosley's gym saying, once he sees what I do to Gibb, he's never going to want to fight me. And I still believe that. Um, unfortunately, it's too much risk for him. And I don't think his ego could handle that loss. Uh, so as much as I want the fight, I, I just don't think it uh, ever will happen, honestly. So you're taking this Andre August fight because you see it as the next step to your pursuit of a world title. How do you get there? Have you mapped out kind of the pathway to get into the rankings, to become eligible, to get that world title opportunity? Yeah, look, it's it's one step at a time, um, but treating myself like a young boxing prospect. So first and foremost, um, staying super active, fighting three, four times a year, um, fighting people with similar or more experience than me to push myself, working up the ranks, eight round fight, 10 round fights, all of these things, um, staying in camp. And when the timing is right, we'll identify uh, what steps are needed to be made to to get to that level and uh, to execute the game plan of becoming a world champion. But it's going to be a bumpy path. It's going to be a rough path. Um, it's not going to be easy at all, but that's, that's what I signed up for. You know, Canelo Alvarez, uh, who is the undisputed champion at 168, for a lot of years, he would often say, nah, I'm not going to fight Jake Paul whenever it was brought up. He's kind of opened that door a little bit in recent interviews about the possibility of fighting you. Do you think that is becoming more and more realistic, whether it is next year, the year after, do you see that window opening up to an extent? 
For sure. I, I still be- fully believe that it will happen. Uh, and I've believed it since the first day I said it. It just makes sense all the way around the board. And as I grow in my experience and as he, you know, comes to uh, the end of his career in terms of fighting the number one people in the world, he's going to want to go out of the sport with hundreds of millions of dollars. And what better way than to fight uh, to fight me? So um, I think it's very interesting. And I think because of my weight, because of my height, and me gaining more experience in the next, you know, 24 months, it actually becomes a, a really interesting matchup. A lot of guys have size. A lot of guys have height. Do you really want that getting in the ring with Canelo? 100%. No, no doubt in my mind that I want that. Um, I know what I'm capable of. I know that I can rise to occasions. Um, and a lot of times, you know, these fighters are filled with fear and think that they can't do something. And if, if that's the case, then, the, then they're right. Um, I'm getting better on a day-to-day basis in this sport. And the best part about me fighting Canelo is going to be when I pull off one of the greatest upsets in the sport of boxing and leave people with their jaws on the floor. So, you know, it's all fun and games. People can laugh at it, uh, can doubt me, all of these things. It's nothing new. Since I was a kid, that's been the case. Me saying I'm going to do something, everybody in the world, besides maybe my brother, my mom, and my dad, thinking it's a joke, and then me accomplishing it, times fucking 10. So shit can be sweet. We can sit here, but... I believe it's going to happen, and I believe I'll win. I know you got to go, but real quick, last February, I was in New York with Amanda Serrano announcing the rematch for her and Katie Taylor. That fight didn't happen. Katie went on to fight Chantel Cameron twice, but instead of we're us talking about fighting Amanda Serrano in Croke Park in the summer, Eddie Hearn said last week that the focus is on the Cameron trilogy. Jake, you promote Amanda Serrano. It sure feels to me like the rematch between Amanda and Katie is dead. What can you say about that? Uh, man, I, I think, yeah, it's it's coming from their side. Amanda wants to make the fight happen. See, that's the thing. At Most Valuable Promotions, we're, we're not like these typical boxing people. This shit is fucking simple. Pick a date, pick a weight, and make it happen. Sign the fucking contract. It's all of these things and da 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 it's these snake oil salesmen who hide behind these false claims and and reasons why they can't make a fight at certain times or fighters not wanting to actually do it mvp is shaking that whole entire thing up um we're just doing straight up business and all of our fighters are ready to fucking go against whoever wherever whenever so the ducking is coming from katie taylor amanda serrano is ready and has been ready since the moment that i believe she won that fight so yeah let's make the rematch happen we know you're ready to go friday night andre august live on the zone in orlando florida jake good to talk to you man and good luck on friday thank you man appreciate you 
That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Jake Paul for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. I am going to try to do one more podcast this week, so stay on the lookout for that Friday or Saturday. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you won't miss it. It's a busy week in boxing, and I think we still have some stuff that we want to talk about. So stick around. We'll talk then. Thank you so much. I go sleep. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 